But we're in this series called Believe Big, and I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. And I'm just, I'm glad we had a Wycliffe missionary today because part of this series has been that classic verse that says that the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God. And what an honor we have today in our language to hear the word of the living God. That my, my tongue gets to articulate syllables that were birthed in heaven. And our ears get to translate and to understand and comprehend thoughts that were originated by God himself. What an honor. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him or her who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted, fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God, help in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can have a seat. Last Sunday, we left church, and one of my daughters was uh, insisting that she get a Frosty from Wendy's. I don't even know if it's actual food or not. I don't know if there's any nutritional value, but she likes chocolate Frosties. I really did not want her to get one of those, and she needed new shoes. She, I bought her two pairs of shoes at the beginning of the school year. To be clear, that was three months ago. And they, one of the pairs she lost because she takes her shoes off everywhere. I mean everywhere. If we're at Wendy's, the shoes come off. When she's at church, there's many Sundays I've driven back to our church because the shoes were somewhere in the kids' ministry. But the other pair of shoes are too small. And her little, she's gone through a growth spurt, which is every parent's budgetary nightmare. She needed new shoes. Her little feet, toes were being crinkled up. Her little deditos were being just crumpled up. And it was just really, really sad and, and, and troubling. And, and when she was asking, I knew I needed this. So it was sort of like, you know you have to do this so you don't, you know, you're not abusive to your children. I said, hey, you've got a choice. You can either have a Frosty or I'll buy you brand new shoes tomorrow. That's when you know you've got a sugar addiction. But she chose wisely, and she chose the shoes. Well, the next day, it's, it's my day off, and um, she goes to school. By the time she comes home, I'd gone to the gym. When I go to the gym, so I'm at the gym, and I'm delaying longer than she's hoping, and she proceeds to, in the wait, in the delay, she proceeds to say to my wife, it was probably 4.30-ish, she said, Mommy, Daddy, lie to me. Daddy lied to me. Now, I did not know this until I'm coming home because when I came home, 
As soon as I walk in the door, now every man is hoping when he walks in the room that when he walks in his house, what he's hoping to hear is, the king is home, something like that. That, that, That's what he wants to hear. But instead, I had that look from my wife, which was like, you're in trouble with me. She said, you need to go talk to Anaya. I said, why? She said, well, you told her that you were going to get her shoes. And she's been waiting in there. Nothing happened. And just as she says that, I, I say, well, let me show you what's in my hand because I just came from Dick's Sporting Goods and I bought her some brand new Nike shoes that are her size that she can wear to which Ruthie's eye, her, her face changed. I was not happy that she looked surprised, but her face changed. And she says, Anaya, you need to talk to your daddy. And I walk in there, and when I show Anaya the shoes, her face changes. And, of course, she tries the shoes on, and she's been wearing them nonstop ever since. But I looked at her, and I said, Anaya, I'm your daddy. You can trust my person, and you can trust my promise. But it's not just Anaya. Because from the very beginning, the first problem that our first parents had, it was not simply that they were so lustful after a tree that was forbidden. It wasn't simply that there were colors and tastes and smells that were so intriguing that, that they had to taste it for themselves. It wasn't simply that they were lustful. It wasn't simply that they were prideful. It wasn't simply that they had many of the sinful tendencies that all of us have inherited ever since. It was from the beginning when the first Attack came upon humanity. It was an attack on the character and on the words, on the person and on the promise of God himself. Did God indeed say? Is that really what God said? And and if he did say that, why why would he say that? And when we come to Isaiah chapter 40 now, we find that this is a, this is a pattern of humanity that's that's been around ever since. In fact, in verse 27, we really get the genesis of this entire chapter. In verse 27, Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is finally dropping the, the, the reason for the, the shift in Isaiah, which starts in Isaiah 40 and ends in verse chapter 66, where uh, uh, Handel's Messiah is going to put melody and, and music to this, this masterpiece of literature, but this glorious promise of eternity where God speaks to the ears of humans that forever have been speaking like they did in verse 27. God says to them, why are you saying, O Jacob? Why are you saying, O Israel? In other words, my people, why are you making this accusation against God in verse 27? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, he's calling them out on on an accusation that they have brought before God, that, that in the midst of being exiled, in the midst of watching Babylon arise and Persia arise, in the midst of watching all of these other nations, in the midst of watching life not turn out like you were wanting life to turn out, in that place, they have said, oh, why is my way hidden from God? In other words, is God not big enough? Is God not strong enough? Is God not, does he not have clear enough vision that he can see what I'm doing? Or if he does, it says, why is my right disregarded? Let's get really clear to use last week's words. They're making the accusation that either God is not great, he cannot see, or God is not good, and he disregards my rights. 
And what God is saying to them is, wait, why are you bringing this accusation? And it's not just Adam and Eve, and it's not just Israel. It's me. It's me. When I get these promises from God, when I read the scriptures, and I read his words, and I read his promises, when I am forced to wait for what I want now, I'm very tempted to question the God who gave the promise. When God who said, by my stripes there's healing, says there's healing, and I'm like, where's the healing? When God who promises, I keep them in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on me because he trusts in me. When I don't feel the peace and I know that God has promised peace and, and it hasn't happened like I wanted to, I start to question the God that either God is not going to keep his promise that he's unable to keep his promise or he's unwilling to keep his promise. He's either not good or he's not great or both. And I'm so tempted to go there. And today I've just got some of the best news in the world for us. We're in this series about believing big before we're done. You got a card. I'm going to dare you to take that card and to write some big, bodacious prayers before God. But I want to give the good news because the essence of this whole series has been this. Faith is not positivity. Faith is not optimism. Faith is not having a really positive personality. Faith is not the ability to conjure up enough confidence in your ability to believe. Faith does not depend on you. Your faith depends on God. <laughs> My problem is not that I'm not able to believe. My problem is that I'm so easily distracted and I take my eyes off of the God who told me to walk on water and I start to walk on water and when I cease looking at him and I start looking at the waves, I'm like, no wonder I start falling. This is my big attempt today with great joy to tell you, don't look at the waves, don't look at the storms, don't look at the wind, look at your God. Behold your God. Lift him up. Every time we gather together as a microchurch or a macrochurch, my desire is that we would lift him up. I, I basically have a few things I'm going to say and then some, something I want you to know and something I want you to do. Here's what I want you to know. You can trust his person. And you can trust his promise. And you can trust his timing. And by the time I'm done telling you all that, I'm going to tell you one thing I want you to do. So let's start with this first one. You can trust his person. Verse 28, it says, have you not known, have you not heard? Now let me just make this really clear. My problem is not so much that I, I don't know. We don't need new revelation. We need recollection. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes I hear people say, man, I, man, I, I need a revelation. no. We've got all the revelation we need. What we need is recollection. I've got to remember. This is why Peter would say things like, I want to stir you up by way of remembrance. And even this morning, I want to stir you up by way of remembrance who he is. Faith starts with a conviction, a joyful conviction, a hopeful conviction of who he is. That's why if you've ever gone to church and they started singing songs like Waymaker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, something happens to you because you're being stirred up by way of recollection. You are remembering. You are rehearsing who he is. You can trust his person. Well, let me just kind of joyfully walk through this. The Lord is the everlasting God. 
Presidents are temporary. Nations are temporary. This chapter has told us that nations are like a drop in the bucket. The Neros rise and fall. The Hitlers rise and fall. Alexander the Great rises and falls. But the Lord is the everlasting God. <laughs> the psalmist would say, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You have no beginning and you have no end. This is the, the reality of God, that he is infinite. There is an infinity to God, that there is, there is a eternality to God. And we get this. If you've ever had a great vacation that was a week long, and on day five, you started fretting because you said there's only two days left. <laughs> you ever done that? You ever watched a good movie, and you're like, oh, no. This has been awesome. And you're, you're like wondering how you almost can't enjoy the rest of it because you know it's going to end and you're going to end up at, you know, the sequel, which you know is going to stink, <laughs> a.k.a. The Matrix, you know, whatever it is that <laughs> I'm sure hoping Matrix what, Resurrections is better, right? But he's everlasting. He, he, or, if, if you're a Gator fan, I, I remember when I, I graduated the year that we won our first national championship. Danny Werfel got the, he got the Heisman Trophy. And I remember listening to the news, and I was all excited. I was listening to sports talk radio, and, and they said something that ruined the rest of the season. They said, hey, folks, don't take for granted what you got right now. Nothing lasts forever. And I said, oh, shut that wicked prophet's mouth up. But sure enough, within a few years, Steve Spurrier got tired, I think, of all the Gator fans expecting every, because the, the next year, it's like the Gators were like number three, and everyone's like, what's the problem? And the next year, they were like number two, and everyone's like, oh, this is horrible. And then, of course, there was another dynasty that came along, and there was a, a Tim, I forget his last name, Tim something, I, I, I forget, you know, Harvin, no, that was Percy Harvin, whatever his last name was, Tebow, that's right, thank you, Tebow, and, and they won a championship, and then another one, and and I was listening to the radio again. I was enjoying that senior season. And then they said, hey, folks. It's like the same guy again. I hated this line. <laughs> Don't take it for granted. Wah, 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 wah. Nothing lasts forever. I said, that's horrible. Surely it can last forever. You ever heard of Alabama? <laughs> but if you're watching from Alabama, I want you to know. Nothing <laughs> lasts. I actually want to say it to Georgia. That's who I want to say it to. <laughs> I, I'm on a missions board, and we had to make a decision about a missionary. And this, he, was being, he had been a missionary, and he was being up for a, a position of management and leadership over, over a region. And, and some of us don't know who he was, and, and a few of the missionaries that were there were like, hey, you, do, you know who this guy is, right? And I'm like, no, I don't. And they said, well, do, do you know his story? And we're like, no. We're like, we're like, does he trust God? Is this guy legit? Is he for real? They're like, okay, so let us tell you about him. They said a few months back, he was in a nation that I'm not going to mention, and, there was a, and, and Christians are persecuted, and someone pulls up. He's in a taxi cab, pulls up, and they pull out machine guns, 
and they go right up to them. They pull out these machine guns, and they begin to shoot at him. He's ducking down, but he, but he gets hit. And so they take him, and they, because the, the, the cab is done at this point, and, and they take him, and they drag him into their car. They drive him out into the wilderness. And when they go out to the wilderness, they're getting ready to, to go, and they just you know, kind of go up this way, but there's crowds that are kind of coming from some distant villages. So they decide just to go run him over and just let him die right there in the wilderness. And so they go to do this, but when they do, there was, so there was a pastor that was there, and this pastor goes and drags him out of the street before they go in and run him over, but he's dying of all these injuries. He's bleeding out. It's really bad. They get on the phone. They make a call. They need someone to come, and, and so they say, can someone come? This guy's life is in danger, all of this kind of thing. So they make the call. They do all of this. There's someone that's going to need to help, but the people that need to do it are actually going to have to come from Europe. They're going to have to fly in from Europe, and they're going to have to get there. It's a de- devastating situation, and so they're on their way, and they're going to kind of come and do their thing, and bottom line is that the, the medical practitioners make it. The guy's life is saved. It's all a wonderful story. It's all incredible. This is the miracle part of the story. When they got the message, because they kind of wondered, how did, how did these medical practitioners get there as quickly as they did? It was sort of like, wow, that was a miracle. You know, it's, you can only get there as fast as you can. When they got true story, when they got on their cell phones... The message they got of requiring the assistance was an hour earlier than the call was actually made. They said, we have no explanation for what happened. If they would have gotten there any later, he would not have made it. But when they got the message, they somehow got a voicemail that was an hour earlier than the voicemail was given. Now, you may or may not believe this. This would be what's called a miracle. You could say, Mike, why is this a big deal? Because, folks, there is a very practical application to the theology that God is from everlasting to everlasting. It means God is not limited by time like you and I. And when you and me think that time is against us, I need you to know that with God, the timing is never wrong. And I get it. I'm so, we are addicted to our clocks and we're addicted to our phones But could you imagine what would happen if we got addicted to the God who is from everlasting to everlasting? Could you imagine? And when they said, what's the vote? You know, I remember, I'm like, okay, is anyone voting no on this guy? They said, make him the manager, make him the leader of that whole region of the world. Clearly, he's got authority in that region of the world. Yes, my vote is yes. He says he's the He's the creator of the ends of the earth. The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, by definition. A creator is greater than the thing that has been created. Why does that matter? Folks, open your eyes. This week, I just wanted to take a look. Would you put some of these pictures up here? This first image, this is uh, Skogafoss and Skogar, Iceland. This has a, it's, it's got this heavy mountain spray waterfall that produces um, this, like a rainbow that goes on all day long. It flows, this thing flows not from one, but from two different glaciers. I was looking at this picture, and when I, I'm, I'm tempted to be in awe when I see this, and yet I need you to understand, the Lord, the mighty God, the everlasting God is the creator of that. Glory to God. 
I was looking at Caño Cristales River in Colombia. That's a body of water that looks normal most of the time until it explodes with color from July to November. During this time, there is this unique plant that lives on the bottom of the river that turns a vibrant red with blue waters, green moss, yellow sand. And that happens where God takes a river in Colombia and he turns it into a canvas that says, check me out. Behold your God. How about Antelope Canyon? It's got these narrow walkways formed by millions of years of erosion is what they would tell you. That when you walk in these places, you're like, whoa, how did that happen? This is the handiwork of a God that you look and people travel from all over the world to set their eyes on this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Your Lord, your God, the everlasting God made that. How about the island of Socotra? And it's in the Indian Ocean. It's got plant life found nowhere else in the world. What we, hear, what we see right here is it's, these are dragon's blood trees. that they, they look like this, that people go from all over to let their eyes look at this marvelous bit of the creation of the everlasting God who created everything. How about the Tianzi Mountains in China? made up of towers of eroded and exposed rocks. An inspiration for the alien villages, by the way, if you ever watch the movie Avatar, some of these towers, um, these are, they, they grow as, they're, they're as big as 4,100 feet with sandstone peaks. They are 300, what they would time out as 300 million years old is what they would say that when you look at these, the one that made this, the everlasting God, the Lord of all creation, the one that did everything, he's the one that made these. What about Thor's well in Oregon? It looks like a bottomless sinkhole. What about the Waitomo glowworm caves in New Zealand, the home to thousands of twinkling glowworms that God created that they would shine so that one day some preacher like me or a Christian or disciple like you would say, glowworms, glory to God. What about Lake Hillier in Australia? It's got this mysterious bubble gum pink flavor. The vibrant pink defies science. No one knows exactly why it is as pink as it is or why the color is actually stronger the further away you move from it. Most believe that it's caused by some specific algae that God uh, put in that lake because of its high salinity. It mixed with this, this pink bacteria called halobacteria, and it produces that. Double bubble. Next time you choose some double bubble, why don't you just say glory to God. The redwoods in California, some of the tallest trees that have been grown, they just grow and they grow. They, they declare the glory of God. The Ha Long Bay in Vietnam, it's incredible limestone towers take visitors' breath away when they go and take that, go to that next picture and all the, all the way from Vietnam, they, they will go and they'll have to go on a helicopter to see these like they are. And, and you can, all I'm, what I'm trying to say is when I'm reading where it says that the everlasting God is the creator, he is the creator of the ends of, if you've ever been amazed with a sunset, if you've ever been awestruck by the creation, I'm not saying don't be awestruck. I'm just saying you better get the right object of your devotion because the object should be God. Glory to God in the highest. And it says about him, the Lord, the everlasting God, he doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. 
that means he, there is nothing he cannot do. This is the doctrine of omnipotence. I'm telling you right now, you can trust his person. If you're wondering if he can see you, he does. If you're wondering if he's able, he is. If you're wondering if he's big enough, absolutely. If you're wondering if he can hear, he can. If you're wondering if he's involved, he is. You can trust his person. It says his understanding is unsearchable. This is the doctrine of omniscience, omniscience. That means when things are not working like I think they should, I must remember he knows something I don't know. Israel, you've, you've accused him and said he doesn't care or he's not able. I'm here to let you know he is able. And verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. What this means is that not only is he able, he's also generous. He's good. He's gracious. And if you're willing to acknowledge you're weak, he is strangely attracted to people that know they need help. All he needs is humility. I mean, it's strange. You could spend a lifetime ruining your life, flicking God off, <laughs> opposing him to his face, and you could be right on the verge of death, breaths away from dying. Hours earlier, sitting on an execution stake where there's some mysterious Jewish rabbi named Yeshua HaMashiach in the middle. And you look at him, and just a few hours earlier, you were mocking him like the other one. And then at the very end, the fourth quarter had like 10 seconds left, and you humble yourself and say, Lord, remember me. And it's just so strange how attracted he is to humility. It's like, what? What? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What? You could spend a life ruining yourself, and then you choose to humble yourself, and he lifts you up every time because he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. If you're weak today, this isn't like a sermon ploy. If, if you're weak today, if you're vulnerable, if you're tired, if you're weary, he says, come to me. You've come to so many other places. You, you were tired, and so you went on social media? How'd that work out? You, you were tired, so you did a, network, a Netflix binge? How did that work out? Come to me, he says. Come to me. I'm able, and I'm willing. I'm loaded, and I'm generous. Come to me. Number one, you can trust his person. Number two, you can trust his promise. You can trust his promise. Verse 30, even youths faint and get weary and young men fall exhausted. And I want to acknowledge it's been an exhausting few years. Some of you have lived an exhausting COVID existence. Some of you are in an exhausted time right now. I'm sorry. I know what that feels like at many different kinds of levels. Maybe not yours, but I know mine. And and I know what it's like, and I'm telling you not because I'm on the stage, not because I'm a preacher. I'm telling you because my father's name is God, and my Abba's name is Jesus. And my experience in my real life has been that when I have no more strength, when I have nothing left, when I don't know where I'm going to turn, when I wasn't even looking for him, he was looking for me. And when I wasn't even seeking him, he was still seeking me. And when I wasn't faithful to my side of the covenant, he was faithful to his side of the covenant. And I don't know how to explain how many of us are going to get to 
heaven one day and we're gonna look back and say, you did that and you did that and you did that and you were loyal there and you were faithful there and you kept your word there. Wow, Jesus, wow, oh, 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 my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's just as clear as you could fly across the world, look at Iceland and say glory to God and Australia, glory to God and, and the Great Lakes say glory to God. You're gonna get to heaven and the video of your life is gonna replay things you never even said thank you for. You are gonna drop down on your knees and say glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to God. He's faithful. He's more faithful than we've given him, I mean, uh, an ounce of credit for. I'm telling you, it's, it's been minuscule, the glory that's been given in response to the greatness of his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You can trust his promise. Verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord, and here's the promise in, in this passage, they shall, I'm just going to say it, shall. I don't know if we have any um, Indian believers, uh, how many Indian believers in the house, but I was playing volleyball with some Indians two weeks ago. I was preaching at an Indian church conference thing, and, and we went up to play volleyball. They, they all play volleyball. I said, I had my son with me. Hey, let's go. We'll challenge you guys to volleyball. Let's go do it. And they were really, and, when, and like in, 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 for us, when we're going to go get a ball, we say, I got it. I got it. They say, I shall. I shall. I, I thought it was a joke. I didn't know. I kept hearing, I shall. I'm like, you shall? I'm like, it sounds like the Lord. We bring the prompt, and what it means is, you can count on me, I got the ball. I shall means, like there's two people that are vying for the same ball. I shall, that means you back off. God says, I shall. I shall keep my promise. I shall never leave you or forsake you. I shall keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. I shall be faithful to my covenant. I shall watch you at all times. I shall supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. I shall instruct you in the way that you should go. I shall take the humble and the simple when they lack wisdom and they ask me. I shall give them wisdom. That is my promise. Church, you can trust his promise. When you're sitting at your house and your shoes have not yet shown up and you get tempted to think because it's 4.30 that daddy's not coming home and he's not going to bring any shoes and he hasn't kept his word, I want you to remember this. You can trust his person and you can trust his promise and you can trust his timing. Because he knows something you don't know. And that's where this really ends, where you can trust his timing in verse 31. It says, but they who wait, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. You can trust his timing. Now, the key word here is wait. I mean, really, what I've, I've tried to tell you three things today. That it's, really, it's really one big thing of saying you can trust him. It's, it's you can trust his person. Because he's, he's, owns the, he's rich and owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's, he's wise and knows everything that there is to know. That, that he's good and gracious and benevolent and he's, he's better. He, he, he actually does things in the way that if you knew all the information like he does, you would do exactly what he's doing. That's, I mean, let me say it again. If you knew what he knows, you would do what he's doing. 
You can, the three things I've told you that I want you to know, you can trust his person, and you can trust his promise. I want you to know you can trust his timing, but there's a part you need to play, and the part you need to play is verse 31, but they who wait. Now, this word wait is, it's a better word than you can imagine. In Spanish, the word wait, anyone know how to say, what's the verb to wait in Spanish? Anybody know? Esperar. Everyone say esperar. What is the word to hope in Spanish? Esperar. If you say, I'm, I'm hoping for something, you'd say esperar. Like, a hope is esperanza. If someone's, if someone's waiting, they would say, yo estoy esperando. I'm waiting. If I said I'm hoping, I would say, yo estoy esperando. I'm hoping. In Spanish and in Hebrew, the word wait is quite synonymous with the word hope. To wait upon the Lord, which is why some of your versions are actually translated, but they who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. There is a part of our souls, it's very interesting, I was reading it, man, I don't have my phone on me, I was reading it this week that the human body, I took a picture of this quote, the human body, uh, it decays, like you, you, we decay. There's a part of you, though, that they say actually has a capacity to continue growing your entire life, and it has to do with the joy drive in your brain. Your brain is actually able to increase in capacity for joy. That means you could be 95, 90, 99, uh, 107, and you could actually grow in your capacity for joy. Hope is very attached to joy, and the reason joy matters is because the joy of the Lord is your People that stop hoping stop enjoying. People that stop hoping, they stop believing. Because in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the Bible says that faith, and this has been a series about faith, faith, if you're going to believe big, you got to have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Which means where there is no hope, there will never be faith. There must be hope. But hoping, let me just say this clearly, hoping means waiting. And waiting means hoping. My desire is that even when you leave the service today, when someone says, yo, who, what, what do you do? You would say, I wait. But I'm like, but what's your, what's your job? I'm a waiter. Like, well, what do you wait for? I wait for God. What does that mean? I'm waiting for the promises of God. Because I am watching right now, like, I'm, I'm watching, for example, like, like, hey, Gator fans, let me be clear. The, ga the Gators, we going to be all right. And, and I'm watching some fickle fans, they're like, I'm done. I can't wait another season. Okay, then peace out, see you later, Gator fan. Don't call yourself a Gator fan, you're hurting our recruiting, get out, right? That's what I want to say. <laughs> Someone put that on YouTube for me, all right. That was my selfish part of my sermon. But, but, but it's not just Gator fans. I'm watching people say, Lord, I was waiting for you to send me a spouse. And I'm done waiting. Lord, I was waiting for you to, to give me a child. I was waiting for you to provide for my family. I was waiting for you. I was, wa I was waiting. And you know what? You have not come through. You promised, and you didn't come through. And there's this, this, this issue that when we get a promise, and when, when it's 4.30 and 5.30 in the afternoon, and the shoes haven't shown up, and the promise hasn't come true, and, and the, we, I, I am so tempted to say, you know what, God? And it's not so much, I'm not going to like maybe overtly, it might not even be covert disobedience, it might not be outright rebellion, but if I'm honest, I'm like a way that stops showing up at the table because he knows he's not getting a tip. 
the best waiters are the one that you're like, oh my gosh, I was just about to say I needed some more water. Like, here I am. My desire is that we would recognize the disciples of Jesus. We are waiting and 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 waiting. And when it's been a year and it hasn't happened yet, I don't care. I know his person. I know his promise. He knows his timing. And I will wait. You can say, Mike, that's not faith. No, faith is the substance of this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But I'm watching people that it is as if they are saying to God, Lord, I want Thanksgiving dinner level promises, and I want you to cook them in the microwave. What I want is, man, not dry turkey and... Some, some really good mac and cheese, and that's got the stuff on top, and some sweet potato casserole, and, and, I, and, I, and I want the green beans that are seasoned the real way, you know, and I, I want all the, the pies, and, but Lord, I'd also like you to do this in the next nine minutes, and when, it, when the beep goes off on the microwave, I want to have all the promises of God to be yes and amen, and I'm just here to tell you, what if God has promises for your life that cannot be heated up in the microwave? Would you be willing to wait for God if he gave you a promise? And it might take years before it happens. Because I've just seen there's, there's something amazing about someone with tears in their eyes. and I mean, there's things that I'm waiting for right now. But I've just determined, Jesus, I will hope in you. Well, what are you doing about it? I'm waiting. I'm, and when I say waiting, I don't mean like I'm waiting. I mean, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm the kid that's, I'm waiting. I, 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 will, I will not be the kid that says, you know what? That like, like, and, and I get it because I, I, on this earth, people in our church, dad said he was coming home for Christmas and he never came home. This is why you need to know his person. He is holy. Humans will let you down. Humans will break their promises. Humans will fail to their word. But God will never make a promise that he will not keep. You can trust his person, and you can trust his promise, and you can trust his timing. And when the timing is not working like you want, that's where the application comes. Wait, wait. Mike, what do you want me to do? I want you to wait. Let me give you a scripture that I think makes the point for me. It's first, Second Peter chapter 1. It says this. His divine power has granted to us. I'm about to give you what I would call spiritual technology, okay? I'm going to tell you how I pray. 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just say real quick, you already have what you need from God. You've already got it. So if I got these keys, let me throw these keys to somebody here. I'm going to throw you these keys. All right, throw me the key. Can you give me the keys? All right, can you give me the keys? Could you give me the keys? Could you give me the keys? And the problem, of course, is what? He already gave me the keys. The Bible says he has, past tense, completed action, already granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just say this clear. You've got what you need. Through, and here it is, through the knowledge of God, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's number one. You can trust his person. Watch. He's already given us everything we need through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of him. It comes by knowing Jesus. It comes by intimacy with Jesus. It comes by knowing the words of Jesus, getting in the presence of Jesus, spending time with Jesus. It's through the knowledge of him. Watch. Who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great, what's the next word? 
promises. Everyone shout promises. promises. Say it again. Promises. Say it again. Promises. If this was Sesame Street, today's sermon would be brought to you by the vocabulary word promises. So that, I'm, I'm going to take a promise, so that through them, through these, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. If you want to go to Orlando, you are going to go through I-75 and through the turnpike. If you want to go to Georgia, you're going to go through I-75. If you want to go to Jack's, through I-10. And if you want to become what God has made you to become and to be who God has called you to be, you are going to do it through the promises of God. Amen. Why is this a big deal? Because frankly, I'm, I'm a little weirded out by much of my frustration I've had when I'm like, God, how come I didn't end up where I thought I was going to go? And he's like, are you really taking every, like, if you're trying to go to Georgia, you don't go through Miami. And yet you seem to be confused about how to get where you're trying to go. Well, God, what do I do? Go to the GPS. Well, what's the GPS? It's called the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Mike, what's your point? My point is, God has given you promises that are almost like keys that open things up. So let me give you, let me just break this down. To wait on the Lord does not mean you sit back and do nothing. To wait on the Lord means through the knowledge of him, Let's say I'm confused and I don't know what decision to make in my job or I don't know what to do with my major. I don't know what I'm doing after um, my four-year degree. And here I am. I'm like, whoa, what do I do? Number one, who is God? I'm going to remember who is God. I'm going to go look at pictures of the world and be like, okay, wait, wait, God, you are the God that's all wise. Your understanding is unsearchable. And you said, you gave me a promise, and here comes a promise, James 1. Do any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So here's what I do in situations like that. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. This is what I do. I say, okay, I pray, God. I know who you are. You are faithful to guide me. You are my shepherd. You shall guide me. And you said, now this is where I grabbed the promise. You said, if I ask for wisdom. So I'm going to go ahead and make the ask. Wisdom. The Bible says call out for wisdom. So I just go ahead and call out. <laughs> you said you would do that. This means when I'm lacking peace. Oh my gosh, I've got no peace. Oh my gosh, I have no peace. I have no peace. I have no peace. God, the scripture says, you are my peace. That's who you are. Jesus goes on a cross where he became my peace. And you said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You said, your promise, Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, you said, now, so, so literally, I'm saying I literally say these things out loud because I'll be driving down the street and find my mouth literally saying things like, oh my gosh, ah, uh, out of my mouth will be, ah, uh, out of my mouth. Does anyone here ever complain? Does anyone ever grumble? Well, you already know how to do the opposite of what I'm saying. What is grumbling? Grumbling is grabbing the devil's promises. God is calling us to, to grab his. 
What about if you're sick? God, you are a healer. And your word says that you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon you. And by your stripes, there's healing. Well, Mike, what if it doesn't happen that very second? Then I wait. What if it doesn't happen the next day? Then I wait. What if it doesn't happen the next month? Then I wait. There is something glorious about somebody. You're looking in the eyes, and the rest of the world says, you're still waiting for that? Yeah, my my king 2,000 years ago said, he'll be right back. And I'm letting you know, he's coming back. Church, I want you to wait. How do I wait? You embrace the promises and ask. I gave you those cards because when you finish today, before you leave, I'm going to dare you to take the card out and to write down something that you'd be willing to wait for and to pray for. I want you to ask big. In fact, there might be a lot of things that you're going to pray for. If you're at home, you can just write this on a card somewhere and put it in your Bible or journal or somewhere in a phone. I want you to pray and keep on praying. I want you to ask and keep on asking. I want you to hope and keep on hoping. I want you to believe and keep on believing. I want us, though, to be a body that says, you know what? We will not stop trusting. We will not stop believing. And when I get weak, I will look at him because you said those that wait upon you, they renew their strength. It is uncanny how circumstances might not change at all. And somehow there's a new strength in you when someone says, what happened? Man, I don't know. I, just, I went to breakthrough. I'm physically exhausted. But inside, I've got this hope and this buoyancy. And, I'm, and I've got to strengthen how you're like I don't know all I did was hope in the Lord and he renewed my strength I'll just tell you two stories to end it first one there was a, a I was hearing about a, a, a woman that went into business she got raised by a really successful strict dad and she went into business just you know kick butt a businesswoman. her dad went into a little business thing with her and and when he did there was a point they had to sign something together she needed to trust him and she did and he ended up stabbing her in the back and basically gave her the shaft and, and took a bunch of money from her because she trusted him. And she went to him and said, Daddy, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why would you do this to me? And he, and he looked at her and he said, he said, I just gave you the best lesson you'll ever learn. You cannot trust anybody. And there's some of you that have learned that lesson very well. The problem is, when you live a life on guard because you cannot trust anybody, you never can become like Abraham who trusted God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Second story. In the Gospel of John, there's three people that he adored, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick, and they gave word to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, the, the, the guy you love, Lazarus, he's sick. He said, okay. He's sick. In other words, you're a healer. You heal people all the time. Go from where you are. Come to us and come heal Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't. He delays. And Lazarus dies. Jesus finally comes after he's been dead for a few days. And when he finally comes, Martha runs up to him. Mary approaches him. And both of them give the same accusation of sorts. Not as harsh as Isaiah's. They said, Lord, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And I have prayed that prayer so many times. Lord, you could have stopped that accident. God, you could have healed that sickness. God, you could have stopped that marital breakup. God, you could. Lord, if you were here, to which Jesus says to her, he says, Martha, Lazarus is going to rise. 
to which Martha gets theological. She's like in the left brain. She's in the left brain doing her, you know, slow track thinking of like, yes, I know the theology of the doctrine of the resurrection, that in the last day there's going to be a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. And he goes to her, and she's giving him like the, kind of like a calculus answer. She's in the left brain thinking it through all of this, and she says, yes, I know that at the end he's going to resurrect because that's how it is. And then Jesus, he's like, Martha, get out of your left brain alone. Get into your right brain right now, Martha, it's not just that in the last day there's going to be a resurrection. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. And if you believe in me, you're never going to die. And if you do die, you won't really be dead. You'll be alive more than ever. I am the resurrection. And Martha, I'm about to go raise Lazarus. And he is. He's going to raise Lazarus physically from the dead. But he had a lesson to get to her first. Because he's like, I'm going to go and resurrect her. But you need to know something. It's not just that I'm raising your brother. I need you and people 2,000 years later in Gainesville to know. I know what you think you want is an answer to that prayer right now. I know what you think you want is... A fulfillment of that desire. I know what you, and, and there's nothing wrong with the desires, but it's like he would look at us and say, you know what you really want? You've really been longing for me all your life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Lord who heals. I am the Lord who is your peace. I am the one that gives you hope. I am the one that puts marriages back together. I am the one that reconciles families. I'm the one that can take dead things themselves and bring them back. And if you're still wondering if you can trust him, here's how I know you can. Because for Jesus to clear out Lazarus's grave, he's going to have to fill his own. How does Jesus, how does he have the, the stuff to pay for resurrection? He paid for it with his own death. And he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was buried for our sins. And he adores us. And on the third day, he rose again. And whoever trusts in him, they come alive. And if you're wondering if you can trust his person, and you're wondering if you can trust his promise, and you're wondering if you can trust his timing, I'm here to tell you that the evidence is a bloody cross and an empty tomb and a God who never lies.